You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Final Rise, Onyx Hunt, Gunner Kennels, Anookshook, and Nastra, National Shoot to Retrieve Association. And you're listening to episode 93 with Tyler Sladen, Quailhawk. As the season approaches, if you have not already downloaded and signed up for Onyx Hunt, I would highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com, become a member today. Onyx Hunt, as you've heard in my previous episode with Ben Bredigan from Onyx, it is one of the essential items that an upland hunter needs to open up thousands of acres of publicly accessible land to them. It's going to help you find new public land, open up new areas for you and your bird dog. Check out onyxhunt.com and become a member today. Use promo code ROOKIE20, save you 20% off your Onyx subscription. Also, Anook Shook, professional dog food. Been feeding my dogs Anook Shook for quite a while now. It is the only food I will feed my Britneys. They are transitioning from the 2616 formula over to the 3025 formula as we head into the hunting season. Uh, Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, their company is top notch. Um, they've been great to work with and they are producing a high quality, high packed protein formula. Uh, that is an amazing, amazing formula for bird dog of any kind. So check them out, nookshookpro.com. Also, Nastra, if you're looking to extend your hunting season, check out Nastra, N-S-T-R-A. Nastra.org is an incredible organization running some incredible trials. I guarantee you, jump on Nastra.org, you're gonna be able to find a trial near you and be able to jump in with an amazing group of people um, and just learn more about bird dogs, training, hunting, trialing. Uh, it's a great community that I've truly enjoyed over the last several years. And I would head over to Nastra, become a member today and check out a trial. Uh, I know we're heading into hunting season, but they got trials uh, in the fall. They also have them in the spring and really throughout the year. And so check out Nastra and uh, become a member today. Lastly, Gunner Kennels. Man's best friend deserves man's best kennel. Uh, Gunner Kennels is the only kennel I will be rocking for my bird dogs. Uh, built tough, built here in the USA. An amazing company. Uh, Addison has uh, has just really perfected the dog kennel. And uh, all the accessories that go with it, fan kits, orthopedic pads, uh, food crates, you name it. Gunner Kennels is a top brand in the market producing the best dog kennels hands down on the market today i've said it before and i will say it again i've used every single major kennel brand on the market gunner kennels is by far the best i've ever used Uh, from the grippy feet the doors the latches the vents the drain plug it's the little details the built-in handles uh, it's the little details of this kennel that make it uh, above and beyond every other kennel I've used on the market. So check out Gunner Kennels. Also, check out their brand new Gunner Bumper that's on the website now at gunner.com. All right, friends, we're going to keep rolling here and welcome to episode 93 of the podcast. I'm super excited to have Tyler Sladen joining us today. Um, Tyler and I, um, I've been trying to uh, 
Tyler's been on my, my list to get on the show for quite a while, and so I was glad I was able to uh, finally get him on and uh, and, and sit down, chat bird dogs, uh, chat uh, falconry uh, specifically today, and so taking a little bit different spin, uh, we chat both those those things, uh, bird hunting, uh, walking, but also falconry and what that looks like, and so this is a really, really fun episode. I did want to mention, uh, in the last several weeks since we've recorded, Tyler did end up losing one of his dogs, um, Aja, one of his terriers, and so I uh, just our hearts go out to Tyler. Uh, I know that's a, that's a tough thing to go through for any uh, any dog handler uh, to lose one of their um, lose one of their companions, lose one of their their favorite dogs. And so, Tyler, I'm sorry to, uh, for your loss uh, of Aja. Um, I know that's a tough one, man. And so, just know um, our hearts, our prayers go out with you. Um, losing a dog again is never easy. Um, and so, sorry for your loss. Um, but yeah, let's let's rally around Tyler and uh, send him some well wishes. Um, other than that, um, guys, we got uh, September 1st is coming up here just around the corner. Um, we we'll love keep seeing uh, photos you're posting, whether it's you're traveling to a new hunting spot, um, whether you're, you're packing your truck, you are uh, scoping out things on Onyx, whatever you're experiencing. I'd encourage you guys to tag the Upland Rookie Podcast in your posts, in your stories, in your reels, whatever it might be. I would love to reshare some of those for you and uh, just get a peek into what uh, what our audience is experiencing, what you guys are heading into as we jump into a brand new season. Um, it's exciting as, as August kind of turns a corner and gets ready to close close out. Um, it's, it's fun to see, you know, the excitement and the plans that are being made as we've, you know, again, turn a corner from summer, whether it's training plans, roading, exercise, endurance, um, maybe you got a young dog you, you picked up and you are, you know, getting ready to drop in a field and, and go chase some, some birds. Um, there's a lot of excitement, uh, cherish these moments. It's, uh, it's something special that we get to do. You know, I've, I've said that before. Um, let's not take for granted the opportunity that we get to chase wild birds on public land. Uh, that's, that's a special thing we get to do. And so cherish it. Um, whether it's, whether you journal, capture things by video notes, uh, photos, whatever it is, take a moment, breathe, kind of just appreciate what, uh, what you'll get to step into over these next couple of weeks. If you are kicking off your season here on September 1st, um, anyways, we're going to jump right into the episode. Don't forget to head over to Apple podcast, Spotify, leave a rating and review of the podcast. Would love that. We'll help the show keep growing, but until then we're going to jump into episode 93 with Tyler Sladen. How's your summer been going? Uh, it's pretty good. It's the hottest it's ever been here, but the, okay. the rain's been decent, so okay. I'll take the good with the bad. Yeah. Does that mean you got to get out super early or super late to run dogs and all that? You can't even right now. I mean, oh, really? we just set records for how hot it's been. I mean, some days are like 108, 100, 111. So, I, that, I mean, that sets your lows, even at your lows at before sunrise at 75 Jeez. which within 20 minutes it's already 80 yeah dude that's brutal that is brutal well tyler um thanks for jumping on on the podcast with me man uh it's been uh been a long time coming and glad you could uh we could finally make the time to to make it happen so appreciate it man appreciate you having me on Absolutely. Um, Tyler, why don't you, uh, first off, uh, put us on a map where you're talking to us from, and then you give us a little overview of, uh, of who you are. 
so I'm calling in from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is like north central New Mexico. Um, so, um, so he down here I hunt mostly scaled quail and Mern's quail. We do have gambles and bob whites as well. I just don't get out there for them as much as the others. Um, got a kennel with 14 dogs, and I've got an, a young goshawk that I'm raising up right now to hunt over them to replace uh, the late hash brown who hunted over my birds for years. Um, mostly we chase upland birds um, over over gun dogs uh, with a goshawk, and then we shoot over the dogs as well. Right on, man. Right on. Well, that's very cool. I'm excited to uh, to unpack the the falconry side of things a little bit more. Uh, definitely have not uh, have not chatted about that on this podcast, and so I'm excited to unpack that a little bit more. Um, but first, I'd love to start with with everyone's kind of story, kind of your upbringing a little bit. What got you into upland hunting? Uh, can you unpack that for us a little bit more of your story? What got you down the road of chasing upland birds? So what got me into the upland side of things? Um, I, I mean, I came into working dogs through through beagles and tree dogs and uh, earth dogs. Um, but in falconry, I started out mostly hunting squirrels and rabbits over over terriers, dachshunds, and beagles and um, stuff like that. And uh, after after a little while of that, I had met some people that were flying over bird dogs on quail. And then I got a bird that started catching quail and I was mostly flying over their dogs. So I went out and I got a started setter from someone and then another setter and flew over them for a while. And I learned real quick that free dogs were free for a reason. And, uh, I had some help from a, a gun dog trainer up in Missouri and he, he got me sorted with, it was a field trial washout visa. He was young, but it, it, there was nothing wrong with him. He was just not cut out for horseback field trials. And over that dog, I it really like solidified my love for hawk and quail. Up in when I was still I was still in Missouri at the time, and Bob White up there like finding little unicorns. And so I, I loved it so much that I uprooted what I was doing, took a, a job position down here in New Mexico, and started hunting. Uh, scaled quail um and through the through hunting scaled quail i learned really quick that one close working dog um just wasn't it wasn't enough to consistently (laughs) produce well and then the thing that transitioning from gun hunting to to falconry that a lot of people don't see and understand is so in gun hunting if you go all day and find a covey it's not a big deal like you, you still got out there you still hunted and you still found birds in falconry, you've got these weight windows that you're working with on your birds that you may only have one hour, two hours, three on a really well-made bird um, to, to hunt. And so the longer it takes you to find what you're looking for, your birds get frustrated and they, they mm. pick up bad behaviors. And you, I mean, you don't have the adversaries that you can train a dog with that's getting frustrated and bored with a bird. Mm. You only have pattern and food and positive positive reinforcement so if you're not producing quail slips consistently and fast you're going to have a bird that's going to turn into a bird you don't want and Mm. um so what what kind of behaviors would you see them would you would you see them just push the limits more go out further like what what would that look like so so a hawk that's not getting consistent slips on quail or whatever you're looking for is going to do a few different things 
Some of them will learn a behavior called self-hunting where they just fly off and go hunt by themselves. They've mm-hmm. learned that you're useless at producing what they want to hunt and they're better at finding it on their own. <laughs> they're like, see you later. That's a really hard behavior to come back from. And then the other behavior is it'll kill their confidence. So mm. say if they go out there and only see one quail every three days and they don't catch that one quail, their confidence is going to feign and they're not going to chase quail when they do see them as hard. And then it's, it's really going to just mm. catalyst because now you've put in miles and hours looking for these quail and your bird chased it sure. 50 feet and gave up. So mm. I started adding uh, more and more uh, big running setters. Um, and once, once those dogs became made, it, it, it catapulted my success on desert mm. quail. Cause I was, fairly successful at bob white i mean i could go out and catch a bob white most days whereas scaled quail i was like happy to see them once once or twice mm-hmm. a week at when i was first getting into it and i had sure. only had the visla who was um very close working so then once i started picking up setters that um, were hitting cubbies 300 500 yards out consistently it just changed everything mm-hmm. and now i now i like running both those together like trigger my visla He's my oldest bird dog currently. Um, he's really good at picking up singles, and he's amazing at it, but he's not going to beat those setters to the cubby almost ever. Um, mm. So a lot of times what will happen is setters will find the cubby sometimes before we're even done getting the hawk ready and out of the truck. Wow. And it's just to, to <laughs> You're s- like, slow it, down, slow down, guys. Yeah, and so it does the opposite of what I was afraid of. Now I have this bird that's like mega confident, knows – these dogs are going to produce birds and uh it, it it got to a point where we were catching falconry limits pretty much every day and wow. so so to go from like seeing quail two three times a week to maybe catching one a week to catching two to three a day every day it was just like yeah we made it you know that's a, that's um, a big difference yeah um I, I, I definitely want to unpack the falconry more. I have a couple of questions on a little bit more of your story as you got into this. Uh, again, I'm talking falconry and bird hunting and I guess gun hunting. But was it was it the bird side of things or the the dog and the foot hunting, gun hunting that got you kind of the started the starting point for you? I mean, I hunted my whole life, but hunting over dog is that's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother niche, and so hunting over the birds, which require the dogs got me more and more into the dogs. And then, I mean, like now gun to my head, you make me pick birds or dogs and pick my dogs. Mm. But, um, I learned rather early on that when raising young bird dogs, solidifying that relationship with the dog one-on-one with a gun is much, much easier than trying to Mm. throw them into the falconry side of things. Like I won't even, I won't let a young dog go out with my hawk. I just don't do it. It's you're only, you're not really helping the dog. You're not helping the bird. You just, it, you might not hurt it, but you're really not helping either. So it's just, mm. it's just kind of in the way. What's the, what's the harder side of things? So, so you got the two different sides. You got the dog side, training them, working them. You got the bird side. When you mold those two together, what's, what's the harder one to, to, again, catch me up. I, I, I have no clue how the falconry side of thing works. So what's the harder side, I guess, when you're trying to mesh those two things together? Well, I mean, dogs can be trained at so many different levels and so can birds. Um, the bird takes more consistency, more, um, it definitely takes, it takes, they probably take about the same amount of time, but a dog that sits at home for a few days a week, 
and still gets to get out on the weekend and hunt, you're not going to notice too much of a difference. Whereas a goshawk that doesn't get to hunt every single day, you will see the difference. And so like, especially a young goshawk, whereas I, I tell everyone and I tell people that I'm helping raise their goshawks, a goshawk that skips a day hunting its first year, your, your work, it's two days to get it back to where you were before you skipped that. Day. Oh, wow. So you skip a week. I mean, you're, you're going to work a while to get back to where you are. And, it, and, and part of that is you're training birds using their, their weight windows. You're training birds using their metabolism and, and their patterns. And so if a bird's hunting every day and flying every day, its metabolism's cranking. So then its eagerness and its drive to catch more birds and more rabbits or ducks is, is higher when it's flown every day. Whereas if if it's only flown like once or twice a week, it doesn't have that metabolism. It doesn't have the calories going through it to maintain oh. that energy level. Okay. So birds, catch me up on the bird side of things. Do they typically once a day, twice a day? And then talk about those windows you mentioned a little bit ago. Is it, you, so you have this basically eating window that you have to kind of time when you're going to go hunt? Yeah. So they say to fly goshawks on a 22 hour window. So that's one full meal every once a day. But I, I like to feed a small meal in the morning to kind of keep blood sugar high to kind of uh, level out hot behaviors. So goshawks are a lot hotter of a bird. Think like hot, like a, like a racehorse or like a mm. walking horse a little bit. Just They're just hotter. And so when a goshawk's hot, they can be a little bit more possessive around food. They can be kind of grumpy around dogs and just whereas if they're um, less hot – their blood sugar is maintained and a little bit leveled out. They're more polite and pleasant to be around and they're, they're less loud and just, just little, little behaviors go away, but it makes the overall experience better. Mm. So in the morning, typically like when you're, when you're flying a young goshawk, um, you'll wake up in the morning, weigh your bird, give it a little snack on the lure and then. And sorry, you weigh, you weigh them. Why? So we're controlling them through their weight. So I'll, I'll wow. just use my last goshawk as an example. His name is Hash Brown. He flew best on a 40-degree day around 660 grams. And wow. so 665, he would hunt with me and my dogs fine. But if I wanted to introduce like you or your dogs and things he hadn't seen before, less tolerant at even 5 grams higher in weight. So like I would have to actually probably drop them like two and a half to three grams to kind of introduce new things. And no way. Yeah. It, it gets real technical. And I mean, you can be as technical and obsessive as you want with it. I mean, there's other but even birds. grams, but even different grams, like you'll notice different behaviors from the bird. Oh, absolutely. Um, wow. years ago I flew a sharp shin hawk, much smaller version of a goshawk basically. Um, my male sharpshin flew at 86.3 grams. That was like his money weight. He was going to catch sparrows off the fist at that weight. If he hit 86.8, I, I was like the boogeyman to him. He was terrified of me. No way. Yeah. So like the smaller the bird, the smaller the weight window, um, and the more drastic they act with different subtle weight changes. Most falconers fly what are called Harris hawks or red tails. They have some of them have like thirty to fifty gram weight windows, which is huge when you're okay. comparing to like a sharp shin or a goshawk that has a tenth of a gram to five grams. So, wow, that's, yeah, that's, falconry that's super can get technical, oh insanely gosh. technical, really fast. Yeah. Like 
I can't imagine a dog person weighing their dog every morning and being like, well, <laughs> he hunts hunt. the best at, he hunts the best at 39.3 pounds. Like, <laughs> you know, someone's going to try it after listening to this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear how it goes, but yeah, <laughs> bring a little portable scale with you in the, in the truck. There's a, there's a book called like a sporting chance. And, uh, the guy, he hunted with cheetahs. And so he talks about controlling cheetahs through weight. Like we do with falconry bird. No way. And uh, that was that was always a cool read. Um, and there's more books about that guy and the, what he did with those cheetahs. But he was hunting like Carl Moore and jackrabbits wow. with a cheetah at heel. Oh my gosh! That's a, what was that book called again? Uh, Sporting Chance. And then there's okay. uh, the other one that deep uh, dives into it a little bit deeper is Tales of an Indian Prince. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, we're already kind of into the falconry side of things. So we're going to keep going because this is super fascinating. Um, Take me through, you mentioned a couple different species of birds. Uh, what birds have you personally had? Um, maybe can you mention some differences between the different species of, of hawks you've had? Um, so I've trained red tails, Harris hawks. I've trained kestrel falcons, Merlin falcons. I've trained Ophthalmato falcons. Wow. Um, my main thing now and what will be for a long time is I like goshawks. And there's a few different flavors of goshawks, like my last goshawk was what is now classified as an American goshawk from the mountains of New Mexico. And my current goshawk is a Russian goshawk from the Ural mm. Mountains of Russia. Both oh, wow. goshawks, they're separate species now. And then the Russians birds, there's two Russian subspecies. So like depends how far wow. into it you want to get. Um, overall, they train pretty much the same. Um, they're just like subtle differences in size, wing shape, and little bit some behaviors but they hunt the same things they're relatively the same bird as far okay, as the so training aspect so will you stick with the stick with the goshawks moving forward yeah and so the reason i like goshawks so much um they're very forgiving as far as occipiters go so goshawks fall under the classification of occipiters they're very forgiving compared to like a cooper's or a sharp shin they can hunt there isn't an upland bird in the United States that a goshawk cannot catch. Mm. They can catch them and they can do it off the fist. Now they'll have more trouble with some more so than others, but generally I can go anywhere and gun hunt with my dogs. And then when I'm done gun hunting, I can pick up my bird and I can go hawk whatever I want. If mm. I want to go catch ducks, cottontails, pheasant, quail, sharp tail, um, they're all on the menu. Um, wow. Whereas like a red tail, generally like you're, you're pretty much stuck catching squirrels and rabbits or Harris hawk. Harris hawks are a little bit more versatile in catching like, like some can catch quail and some can catch pheasant, but they don't do it the way a goshawk will. Um, they'll, is they'll it, is that a combo of, so I'm so sorry. Is that a combo of like speed and strength of, of the bird and size or? Yeah. Speed. Um, okay. goshawks are catching things right off your glove and drag race and they're just mm-hmm. outright faster than, pretty much any game bird now game birds obviously have tricks up their sleeve to evade goshawks but in a straight line like if you took any game bird out to the middle like the saharan desert and cut one loose it's not gonna outfly a goshawk so Hmm. that's why that's why it's goshawks for me um and they you can get them to accept other people and other other people's dogs so i i do enjoy that um i like flying over my buddy's dogs 
it, it like it's it's not them watching you hunt at that point it's they're running their dog and your birds catching birds over their dog so mm. i i enjoy that a lot that's awesome can you talk about the process um of of i guess getting into falconry and i think i've heard you on a different podcast share about, do you have to like catch the the bird as a baby in a tree and, and get it real young can you get them older so when you're first getting into falconry you're what's called an apprentice so like say let, let's just like make up a scenario say you took your test and you are now my apprentice come september and october you and i i'd have to be with you we'd go out and we'd trap you either a red tail or a kestrel depending on what you wanted to do those are the birds an apprentice can fly and you would train this red tail to probably hunt rabbits you can catch pheasant if you can set them up the right way to catch pheasant they're not going to catch pheasant off your glove but and so you would train a bird under my supervision for two years and then once you're done if I think you're ready. I would sign off on your permit. You can get what's called a general permit. Hmm. And with your general permit, you can pretty much have any native bird you want other than like bald eagles um, for the most part. And so then you can kind of not do whatever you want, but like you don't, you're not, you don't have to listen to me anymore if you don't want to. Okay. And you kind so, of graduated that apprenticeship. Yeah. You've, yeah, you've graduated your apprenticeship. And so, that's when you can start pulling baby birds from nests if you want. So that process is called imprinting. That's a more technical process. Um, it's arguably one of the hardest ways to make a bird. But once that bird is made, the, the work is generally worth it. So as an apprentice, you're trapping a wild red tail and you're training it. And you can be out hunting two weeks later. It's not wow. a lengthy hard process it's just it's consistency and pattern and reading the bird in front of you um, more so than training it for a full year like you would wow a, so, a so trapping a hawk yeah so trapping a wild bird you're saying that's obviously an adult then right it, it's not a no doesn't take, so there it's not a long process then to get hunting with it or so you're not trapping adults so we never take birds from the breeding population so oh, okay you're trapping a juvenile bird and they they're colored completely differently so you're trapping a bird uh, in its first year and, and in the falconry world we would call that a passage bird or a brown bird um okay. it's a bird in its first year so like okay. you'll see my my current goshawk he's completely brown next year he'll be blue so oh no way so or silver but it's like a blue okay. or silver that's awesome. That's awesome. And so, so again, even those juvenile birds, they're pretty trainable where you can get them hunting with you pretty quickly then. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're like a ball of Play-Doh. They're, they're very moldable. Like <laughs> okay. depending on how late in the year you trap, like say you trap a September bird, arguably they would be a little bit more trainable than say a January bird. Oh, wow. Cause the January bird's been living on his own. He's been surviving. Whereas if September bird left the nest maybe a month ago and it's been, eating rats off a telephone pole like yeah he hasn't had much success but he hasn't had much failure either okay okay now the transition you mentioned rabbits before you kind of start out on birds catching rabbits the transition from doing uh, like land animals like that to birds in the training process what's that like so it, it just depends what you're flying so like a red tail is very easily motivated to catch squirrels and rabbits they eat that on their own some people have gone red tails to like follow them through the trees. And then when a pheasant flushes underneath the bird mm -hmm. that's following you and the, the, your red tail now has like an 80 foot advantage in it, mm -hmm. they will catch pheasant that way. Whereas like a goshawk is going to take a pheasant off the dog point. Okay. 
Okay. Um, Tyler, why don't you walk us through, again, I, I have not done much research on falconry, and I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know what that looks like as well. Can you walk us through what would, you know, take your goshawk, your honey with your dogs, the goshawk, how does that look for, for like, paint a picture for us of that experience of hunting with the dogs and the birds at the same time? So the average hunt, first thing I do when I get to the field, um, I turn on the GPS for the bird, put the GPS on the bird's leg. Um, it's like a small little transmitter, and then he's got a backup old school beep beep transmitter as well. Get that situated. Um, and then I put the bird on the roof of my truck, um, get all the collars on the dogs, cut the dogs loose. Um, and then so call him down to my fist. He'll sit on my fist and we'll walk in the direction the dogs went. And then when a dog goes on point, I'm going to walk straight to that dog on point. And sometimes, so when you're starting out, they'll, they're going to ride your glove the whole way there hopefully and you'll flush the quail and they'll chase the quail and they'll catch the quail and then once they've caught the quail they'll usually drag it down low into like a bush or like under a log or something just so that like ravens and other birds aren't harassing them and so i'll walk up with what's called a lure with cleaned meat on it and i'll put that down and he's gonna step over to the lure and start eating the clean meat and i'm gonna take what he had just caught and put it in my bag and then we're gonna keep going I'm only giving them a little bit of meat in trade, but they're not really good at math, so they don't. <laughs> so they don't. They don't know. As long as the trade-off process is clean, they they think yeah. it's a fair trade. And uh, from there, um, after that, he'll he'll clean his feet, he'll clean his beak, and he'll hop back up to my glove, and hopefully another dog's on point by then. And then you can then you keep going. Yeah, and then so sometimes after a bird has really learned pointing dogs. Um, like my old bird hash brown in his second and third season, if he saw a dog go on point like 300 yards away, he'd fly to him and he'd wow. sit on the closest bush he could. And at that point, the covey of quail or whatever it is, is terrified. Yeah. So like you can take your sweet time at that point, but sometimes <laughs> um, my older Vizsla and hash brown, they would, they, they don't need me at that point. They're like, whatever. <laughs> and like, he'll, 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 the bird will jump down and he'll try to flush the quail himself and then chase him. And the dog's oh, like, okay. heck yeah, I'm just going to follow this bird. And then next thing you know, you're watching like quail tear across the desert and then a hawk and dog and toe. And then like wow. you see the quail put in. And then uh, sometimes the, the goshawk gets so excited and he flushes him again before you even get halfway there. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, not ideal, but it's, it's sure. cool to see like, all right, these these two have figured it out, and they've they've they've, they've voted me off the island. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, we're done with you, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, um, and and that applies to like, let's let's like look at a different type of falconry. So like when I was flying red tails over um, terriers and dachshunds, if my dogs were treeing like three hundred yards away in the woods, my red tail would fly straight to the dogs on a tree and like wait for that wow. squirrel to make a mistake and grab them out of the tree and bring it down. Wow. The birds are really good at learning uh, what's going on with the dogs, and they learn really quick. Um, and I, I've always loved that relationship of the hawk and dog or falcon and dog or whatever. Um, and and the, the other thing with falconry, there's just so many ways you can do falconry that mm. you could never touch all of them in a lifetime. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, back up real quick to the first scenario. So, again, the bird is riding on your on your glove pretty much the whole time or are they flying independently ideally with a goshawk they should be on my glove the whole time unless pursuing actively pursuing something so okay yeah he he's not i mean you can train him to follow and all that but like 
ideally he's on my glove and we're walking into dog points and just like you were with a shotgun, just swap the shotgun with a, with a bird. Uh, wow. With a bird. Wow. Um, and then your, your dogs, um, do they, do they need to like steady the, I mean, there's no shot. So steady to bird, like the hawk going in for the, the cubby rise or how does that work with your dogs? So they'll ignore the covey and they'll follow the hawk usually. So I let them follow the hawk for a multitude of reasons. As much as I'd love to keep them fully broke, um, if my bird catches a rabbit far away or a duck far away or a quail far away or whatever, um, he's now at risk for ravens, eagles, bigger hawks, coyotes, bobcats. So I like my oh, dogs to stay with him. With a bird, almost as a, pr- a protection. Yeah, because – so in, in a straight line chase, I'd say on average, he probably flies about 65 miles an hour. So like, wow, he can get gone pretty quick, you know? Like, yeah. And I, I don't run <laughs> that fast. I mean, I run decently <laughs> I mean, fast, but I don't run that fast. And I generally uh, run to get up there just so that okay. no issues arise. And I don't want him to completely, he'll pluck a quail clean. Like it'll look like a grocery store chicken if you take too long to get there. <laughs> and... So I want to get there and get it clean, and so I I have a nicely like clean quail when I get okay. or like a fully feathered quail when I get there and yeah get a nice photo of the dog and the hawk after, and then generally the quail from today becomes food tomorrow for him. So sure, okay, it doesn't yeah. matter if he plucks it, but he, people think he's like shredding it, but all he does is pull feathers off. It's wow, because because yeah, they, they don't see, want that. They, they just, just want to get to the meat. Yeah, but they'll fully clean a quail. Like there will oh be gosh. no feather left unplucked <laughs> before they start eating. That's awesome. That is awesome. What um, you know, with, with someone who's let's say curious about falconry, who's interested in it, who maybe someone wants to get in it, is there like, like how does one even go about that? Are there associations? Are there people? Are there groups? Like what is out there for people to learn more about it and get connected? So for starters, there's a website called Modern Apprentice. Um, that website is a goldmine. It has like every ailment, every bird, every every process, and it's just broken down Barney style for anyone to read about. Um, but outside of that, each state's got an organization for the most part. Um, every state except Hawaii pretty much has a falconry club, and through that, they usually have what's called an apprentice coordinator. And you can reach out to them, and they'll put you in touch with someone willing to take on apprentices um now your falconry experience can be very different depending on who sponsors you there's great teachers and there's teachers you should just learn from that as a bad example i'd never want to be like this guy um but yes so there's an apprentice coordinator and generally they'll put you into some states are better than others like arizona is an incredible state for getting people into it um uh, Indiana's a good one. Texas. Um, there's a few states that just have really good clubs, and there's some states that it's a glorified picnic group, and they don't really have much organization. Um, and so from there, they'll they'll put you in touch. And generally, most people are very gun shy to taking on apprentices, and it's not because they want to gatekeep the sport. It's because everyone and their brother wants to be a falconer until they learn what how much goes into it, mm. and so most people like I won't spot personally, I won't sponsor somebody that hasn't spent a season hunting with me. I, mm. I just come you, out you and I with know me. them, their personality. I, I got to Cause first of all, if I sponsor, say I sponsor you, the first question anyone's going to ask you when you do something wrong five years from now as a falconer is who is your sponsor? 
and it's mm-hmm. gonna like it's gonna reflect on me. Um, sure. And that's not a big deal, but I, I really want to know somebody before I, I sign off on being their mentor for two years because it's really involved. I mean, you'll be over your sponsor's house a bunch with your bird and you can only diagnose so many problems over the phone. Like it, it, it takes a sponsor sure. going out and seeing their bird hunt. And so like um, it's, and then there's a national organization as well. It's called NAFA North American Falconry Association. And they can put you in touch with your state's club. Um, if anyone reaches out to me, I generally help them find their state's club. It's, a lot of the clubs can be kind of hard to find information on. So, okay, okay. Have you have you sponsored anyone uh, recently, or have you gone that, down that road yet? Um, so I've had three apprentices in the last ten years, and um, that have made it through the whole process. I've had a few that like they're all gung ho and they take their test, and I was like, I just want you to hunt with me for a year, and like that's too much for them. And so, oh well, sorry. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to just hand out falconry permits. That's, it's, it's something I really care about. Um, so my apprentices all live here. One of my apprentices just moved to South Dakota. So he's going to have to find someone up there to finish his apprenticeship. But the other two live here and, um, it's a husband and wife, uh, Dalton Bridger and Hannah Bridger. They're, they're both well into their general years and doing very well now. So. Dalton, awesome. Dalton flies goshawks and he just got his first setter the other day. So he's, he's hooked on the quail hawking thing, which is, yeah. It, as far as falconry goes, there's less than 10 people right now that are probably catching quail in the whole country. Um, in the whole country. Yeah. It's, it's a small group <laughs> consistently. Like there's yeah. falconers that might catch like one or two quail a year by accident, but like the people that are out there doing it on purpose over bird dogs, I can think of, I think I can think of like eight, maybe nine. Because you need the dog component to catch quail with hawks. Yeah, and that's what makes it hard for a lot of falconers. Because you got to think, you get into it, and most people start with rabbits. So they get like a a rabbit dog where they don't get a dog at all. And then, well, they're like, well, I'm a general now. I want to catch quail. They don't have a bird dog. And like like I was hitting on earlier that producing slips within an hour or two is almost essential to starting a bird on quail. So... To do that one without a bird dog is it sure it's doable in some urban areas that have quail or pheasant, but to do it consistently or to get reflushes, I mean you're you're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you find it more, so with with hunting with the the hawk and the dogs? Are you covering typically more ground because of the bird than you would if you just went out with your dogs? Does the bird add more? Like the dogs are covering more ground, more range in a, in a given day. It's probably about the same. I mean, in a in a two hour hunt, I usually cover or two to three hour hunt. I usually cover like six to six to eight miles on average. I'd probably say, okay. um, and that's a normal evening for us. So, with the dogs, honestly, probably cut down on your on your walking because whereas you'd be grid searching and doing quail death marches with the dogs, I'm walking from dog point to dog point, if mm. ideally. So, wow. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. What's, uh, I mean, if I, if I had to ask you, what's your favorite part about falconry is, is it the, the dog and the bird component? Like for you, what is, what's the thing that just gets you excited day after day? Just when it all goes, when it goes perfect, which is almost never, <laughs> but, um, that's what keeps driving you at least. Yeah. It's like, it's, I, I call goss hawks a heroin hawk. Cause you're just like chasing this <laughs> perpetual dragon. Um, cause in your head you paint this picture and the picture you paint is dog slams on point. Second dog comes into honor. Either you have a flush and dog come in and flush or you come in and flush and 
Bert pulls it off the rise and everyone cheers and claps and it's perfect. <laughs> and like it, it, it does go that way a lot. But like when you, when you start thinking about, well, it's a 180 day season, how many days did it go that way? You're like, man, it really didn't go that way that many days. <laughs> um, so that to me is perfect. I love, I, I love, I love that. But I also love when like I meet up with some dude I just talked to on the internet and they're like, I want to get into falconry. And now's a great reminder to sign up, become an elite member of Onyx Hunt today. Use code ROOKIE20, save you 20% off your membership with Onyx Hunt. Uh, An elite member has so many perks and benefits to it. Um, You get all the good stuff as far as the, the digital mapping system, which is hands down the best one out there. But you also get discounts and uh, promotions for tons of different brands out on the market. Um, Things from uh, Final Rise, First Light Hunting, um, uh, what is it, the Hunting hunting Dog Podcast Training Series, Upland Institute. Um, There's so many things. The list goes on and on and on. So check out and become an elite member of Onyx Hunt today. They've got a a well-trained dog and I fly over their dog. And catching quail over other people's dogs Mm. is, is another thing for me that really like drives it home. Um, are, are people's eyes just this big when they, when they see it for the first uh, time? Oh yeah. They, they, they love it. And I've never seen someone come out and witness it for what it is and be like, well, that was underwhelming. They, they, that's mm-hmm. never been their reaction. Um, so I, I definitely love being able to fly over other people's dogs. Cause then they go home and they're like, well, I don't, I don't need to raise this dog with Hawk. I can go get a Hawk and then kind of, kind of integrate it um my buddy jake thomas in kansas he he was he's been a gun hunter over bird dogs most of his life and now he's flying goshawks over longtime gun dogs he's a falconer now and i that stories like that really really drive me that's so cool and there's is there generally any issues though so you know let's say I, i took my dogs out with your bird is there any adjustment period for those dogs with the, with the, throwing the bird in the mix, or is that pretty smooth for the most part, depending on the dog? You're just gonna want to have a tight handle on them. If a dog's like fully woe broke, I mean that that cuts down on like 99 percent of issues. The the especially with upland birds, where where I do see a lot more issues and where it can be a little bit trickier integrating it is like on rabbits, because when when a hawk catches a rabbit, it just makes this guttural like exorcism scream, and <laughs> That just that I mean that just hits arousal for some dogs and like oh. some dogs just can't. And when when you got a dog in there munching on a rabbit that has a hawk attached to it, like hawks are very fragile, so mm. you can run into some issues there. Whereas like a quail, like if your dog ran on my hawk, ran in on my hawk with a quail, he's just gonna fly away with that quail. Like he's not gonna mm. just like sit there and let this dog steal his quail. Mm, sure. Right on. Uh, last question on, on falconry, I think for now. Um, now, I think you mentioned you can hunt pretty much any upland bird. Like, can you take, can you load up your truck, go to Nebraska and hunt sharptails with your dogs and your bird? Yep. Uh, you'll just have to get a health certificate for your bird for some states, like Nebraska's one, um, Colorado's one. But yeah, you can, same hunting license. You just, you're just out there with a bird instead of a gun. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. That's uh, definitely on my list to uh, witness someday because that sounds <laughs> sounds sounds pretty incredible. When it, like like we said, when it all works out and kind of all comes together. I generally, when I have a new bird, I try not to invite many people that haven't seen it before because I want to show. Like I want their 
first impression of falconry to be perfect and it's like yeah. you end up being they don't even know what they're looking at but like you want you still <laughs> yeah. want it to be perfect and that that one can be kind of hard on i can be hard on myself about that like if it goes slightly wrong i'm like sorry yeah. and they're like no this is really cool I'm like, yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sure it's an experience how uh, uh what's the lifespan on, on a goshawk um in captivity they can live like 25 years if oh, you're wow. hunting them yeah if you're hunting them every day though and you're hunting them hard like that is a very unrealistic expectation birds okay. die very easily like all it takes is hitting a barbed wire fence at 60 and it's over oh. you know or okay. a coyote coming in on it on a rabbit it's over like it you yeah. don't they weigh a pound and a half like there is very room <laughs> there's to, not, not much to them there's not much room to fix uh sicknesses and ailments and injuries like a wing injury or a leg injury is a very daunting process to repair. Yeah. I bet. I bet. That's awesome, man. Um, catch us up on last season. What were, uh, what were some, maybe some highlights for, from last season for you? Um, and I also like to, someone who hunts as much as you do, what's something maybe you learned last year that was, was new for you as a hunter, as a falconer, whatever it might be, just catch us up on maybe what were some highlights and uh, maybe what were some of your takeaways from last year? Uh, so last year was a long season so i took since hash brown passed away last spring i took last season kind of a step back from falconry i didn't want to raise another bird which is a very immersive process it consumes your summer and whole winter um so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna check off some some bucket list gun hunts because i won't have a hawk um i did end up flying a buddy's goshawk for like a month but she mostly she only wanted to catch jackrabbits so I, i ended up giving her back i was like this isn't what i want Sure. Um, so I went up to Minnesota to, I wanted to see the true Northwoods. Like I'm from new England, but I wanted to see the upper peninsula of Michigan. I wanted to see Minnesota. So I went up there and I was able to scratch off spruce grouse, um, over Kira, which was the last upland bird in the country for her. I had, I have now shot every upland bird over her. And it was like a, a goal of mine that it was mm. nice to finally do that. So the, um, the spruce grouse was the was the last one you checked off. It was the last one. Um, oh. it, yeah, it was it was a cool experience. We ended up getting on that hunt. We got two rough grouse and a spruce grouse, and then wow. I missed I missed a woodcock, which would have been cool, but I, I definitely yeah. killed the tree. Um, <laughs> then we uh, we also went up to um, uh, we went and hunted ptarmigan in Colorado. Um, that was a great time. Uh, I ended up getting altitude sickness and COVID at the same time on that hunt. Oh, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Dude, that's I, altitude, I altitude sickness alone is is rough. Yeah, I do not recommend. That was a very crazy experience in itself. But it was cool to. I, I've hunted ptarmigan before, but I it's just just take gun specific trips. Um, that so that was nice, and then, um, I I tr- so. After Minnesota and after Ptarmigan, I was like, maybe maybe I should go for every upland bird in one season. And I came mm. uh, super close. I actually I only came one bird shy of doing it. And then I wasn't dang. able to I wasn't able to get out to California and hunt mountain quail. But oh, okay, I just got in the truck and I just didn't stop. <laughs> we hit like every state, and it was probably one of the best seasons in my life. Without I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I miss falconry dearly, but it was fine it was a break that i was able to focus on the dogs and just hunt everything from montezuma quail to sage grouse to spruce grouse and then 
I, I definitely put, had a bl- that's how you put a hundred thousand miles in your truck, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I bought my truck brand new last August and I just hit ninety three thousand yesterday. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. So <laughs> I definitely did some driving. Um, we ended up finishing the year in Georgia on uh, Plantation Bob White, and that was definitely a cool experience. It was different. I've hunted Bob White in so many different states, but like it's nothing like down there. It's, it's mm. seeing five cubbies in an hour was like a normal thing down there. It was crazy, <laughs> Dang. and it was such was beautiful, cool. beautiful terrain. Um, something I learned. I, just, I don't know. I, I think I definitely learned just uh life's too short to hunt hunt with people you don't like and just focus <laughs> on the people you do like hunting with and getting getting to all those states and linking up with people that i've enjoyed hunting in past seasons with is it's just nice to like continue that trend and i i definitely learned that hunting with the right people is just a way different experience just people that are just always always positive always just happy to see dogs work and couldn't care if you have a one covey 19 mile day or have a 19 covey 10 mile day they don't care <laughs> just, yeah. just those people that are always always a good good person to lean on so i, I got to hunt with a lot of friends that's awesome last year and i definitely want to focus more on hunting with those same people year after year yeah it makes it makes a big difference i mean the community and the friendships you form it's a special thing yeah, I mean, over the years, I've hunted with a lot of people. I didn't end up really just – not that they were bad people. I just, just didn't jive with it, and it's fine, you know? Sure. Um, so hunt, finding those people you do like hunting with and focusing on those on those hunts is definitely something that more people sh- should probably focus on too. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so this year, so you have a bird now. Are you going to be focusing more on the falconry side of things over versus gun hunting, or what are you thinking for uh, this coming season? This see this year is it'll be very centric around my bird. Um, I'm gonna start the year up in the prairie states hunting sharptail and Hans and uh, young pheasant, um, which is the, another cool thing about falconry is our seasons are different. So like, oh. if I want to go hunt half grown pheasant on September 1st with a hawk, I can. And if oh, he catches well. a hen, it's not a big deal. Um, and it, you got to remember baby birds catch baby birds and like, it's, it's a natural sure. progression of their training, like making them wait until everything's like a full grown late winter rooster wouldn't be fair to the, the hawk. Mm. And it's a very sure. steep hill to climb. So I'm going to start in the prairie States and then I'll probably go down to, uh, Arizona for a little while and hunt Arizona's quail season opens pretty early for falconry and I'll go hunt, um, quail down there with some friends and then once quail opens here i'll probably stick around here a while until the snow starts and i I really like to finish once i get my bird catching quail and other things consistently i'd like to go hunt some chucker out in nevada and idaho with my bird oh right on kind of finish the year on that yeah that's exciting man sounds like uh sounds like a fun season ahead for you for sure maybe maybe a little less miles than last year you think (laughs) i'm gonna try to I'm going to try to do a lot less bouncing around and more getting somewhere and staying there a while this year. That's why I threw that tent on top of my truck. And because I realized like over the years, a lot of my driving was like wherever you stay, you're still driving an hour, two hours to where you hunt every day. Yeah. For the motel or something or. Yeah. So now I want to, uh, kind of just stay where I'm hunting, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about your, your truck and your setup a little bit. And you, you got that uh, custom box built for the back. You got your tent on top, all that stuff. How's that How's that been for you? Is that, was it purely just out of, out of a decision to be able to stay where you hunt? And how's that setup been working for you? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to fit as many dogs as possible without having to bring them into the cab. And then I wanted a charging area and then I wanted a place to sleep. And then I wanted to be able to carry water, which I was able to hit all those goals. I'm about to add some solar panels to it. And then uh, I actually ordered a trailer. So I'll probably end up moving my tent down to a trailer so that I can drop oh. drop a trailer and tent and kind of be a little bit more mobile. Don't oh, get me wrong. Yeah. The tent breaks down super fast and I love it. But to have to break it down every morning while hunting sure. kind, of gets, kind of gets annoying unless you're hunting yeah. from where you're sleeping. Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so the rooftop tent would just be on top of the trailer. Yeah, I would just throw it on top of the trailer. I like having okay. it on the truck, um, especially when you're driving cross country and you get tired and like. Yeah. I'm not 20 anymore. I, I don't sleep in the front seat as well, and I definitely <laughs> don't bounce back the next day as I used to. So I like to. It's just two latches. You flip the latches and it pops open, and you fold out a ladder and a and a panel. Yeah. And then you can just crawl up there and sleep. And to be able to just sleep fully sprawled out, I. I've camped in that thing and like the parking lot of like loves travel stops. <laughs> and so to be able to do that comfortably is nice. And then if anyone ever comes up to your truck, you got dogs in the box and they bark and yeah, yeah. you're up and you're up in the tent. So you're, you're close. So little that was my other fear with, with, I, I hate hotels and I, my fear is someone's going to mm-hmm. break into my truck. Um, so I'd rather just sleep in my truck with the dogs so that, if they're yeah. stealing the truck, they're stealing me with it. <laughs> You're going for a ride. I'm going for a ride, and they're not going to like it when I wake up. <laughs> Come down over the windshield. What are you doing? Yeah, Spider-Man on the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did it, uh, that hurt your MPGs pretty bad with the tent and all, all the box and everything, or not, not too bad? It cuts you down about two miles per gallon. So I used to get like 20, 21. Now I get like 18 and a half. If oh, that's not bad. Now you you definitely feel it in the wind a little bit more. Um, I I drive slow. I'm not one of those people. I, I try to even though I drive my truck a lot, I try to baby it. So like I'm very much like cruise control set at seventy, and whenever I get there, I get there. I'm not sure. doing eighty five ninety <laughs> with a dog Just, box and ten. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to crash going that fast. And I really like you can watch it to watch your MPGs go from like nineteen down to fourteen. I'm like that's that's a lot, you know? So I try to yeah. try to baby it. And then I also like my truck, so I don't want to like beat on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, uh, you do a lot of traveling with your dogs. Clearly you've, you covered a ton of miles last year. What are some, maybe, uh, maybe some do's and don'ts, uh, of traveling with your dogs for hunting, all those kinds of things. I, I get people reach out to me sometimes and be like, Hey, what do you, you know, I'm traveling to a new state with my dogs. How's that work? Logistically do's, don'ts, things like that. Do you have any advice for people who are when we do some traveling this year with their dogs? Um, hold on a second. Gamora, stop. It's just me. <laughs> she woke up and heard somebody. Um, I I like to find somewhere shady and just stake them out, and then uh, I, I like to carry a container of like Timothy hay so that when they're on the stake, they have some like hay, hay to lay down on. Okay. Um, water hydration is really hard on dogs when you're traveling so i float all their food um so that they're at least getting water with their food and um just when traveling or do you do that at home as well 
I don't do it at home as much, but when traveling, I always try to do it just because you hunt them, they get water, you let them out to go to the bathroom, they get water, but then they're in the, they're in the box just so much. So trying to let them out and get as much water as you can. Um, other tips. Um, I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring out the system. Um, I have it set up so that I can carry quite a, quite a bit of stuff now. Um, I guess I would need more like direct quite like what, what do they need help with like traveling? You know, I'm so used to it that I, I have my little systems, but like without specific yeah. questions, it's kind of hard to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that's some of the good stuff. Yeah. Just, I mean, like you talked about hydration, uh, things like that. I think that's some of the stuff of, um, yeah, for dogs. Do you, will you f- uh, feed them in the morning, you know, feed them in the morning kind of guy? Do you feed them extra night before a hunt? What do you do with that? I feed them at night. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't like to feed them in the morning because I don't want them running around with a belly full of food. Um, so I, I always feed at night. If it's a dog that's hard to keep weight on, I'll feed them twice a day. But other than that, I, I generally yeah. do once. And then I'm feeding a nook ship 32-32. So it's, oh, you're doing the big, you're doing the, the high calorie. In the hunting season, yeah. I don't feed, we don't feed it here in the off season anymore. We do the 26-16 all summer. And, um, I like that blend. Um I definitely miss scooping less like you do with 32, 32, but sure. it's just, it's a lot, it's too hot of a food to feed when they're not even running. So yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Tyler, as we, we wrap this thing up a little bit and we haven't touched on dogs really too much. Um, can you just take me through your dogs a little bit? I know you're a big setter guy. Um, what, why the setter for you? I know you have, you still have a Vishla as well. I've got one Vishla who's eight. Okay. Your, then, your older one. Yeah. So what is trigger. it? Yeah, what is it about the setters for you when uh, you got you got quite a few, I know? Uh, so I got seven setters. I just like how natural they are. As a photographer, too, I, I, I just find them striking. Like, mm-hmm. very, very seldomly do I look at a setter on point and not want to pull out a camera. Like, <laughs> it's just, they, they always, they've done it for me since the beginning, and they continue to do it for me. I, I like how natural they are. I like how hard they run. Um some people think they're not as heat tolerant because they're coats. That's not my experience. It's not many people hunt in a hotter area of the country than I do and live. So I think that's more conditioning and more a little, there's a little bit of a genetic component there too, but mm. um, they, they kind of check all the boxes as far as some of mine are really good retrievers and some of mine couldn't be bothered to pick up a bird, but most <laughs> of mine um, from skedaddle lines love retrieving. So um and then I love them around the house. They're they're just mm-hmm. generally a piece of furniture around the house, and I appreciate that. When you have this many dogs, you start to appreciate them more and more. Whereas mm-hmm. my eight year old Visla, who still acts like a puppy um, and <laughs> wants to wear my skin, uh, I, I couldn't do that if I if I had fourteen of those, I'd, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, I got to draw the line somewhere. Um, so yeah. They do it for me. And then I've got a few terriers too. I've got Yag terriers. Um, and I use them as little flushing dogs and retrievers. Um, but I also use them for work as well. And yeah. I, 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 so I've got two, I've got mouse and Aja. They're German, German terriers. Okay. And how do you, how do you pronounce that again? Yag? Yag. It's, it's really yak. If you go like, if you want to say it like German way, what, what it translates to is yak in German is hunt. So it's, it's the hunting uh, terrier. Um, okay. So, those things, dude, those things look badass. <laughs> they, they look like badass dogs. 
I I love them. I will always have them. They're well-bred ones. Are very good retrievers, flushers, and then they've got incredible little noses. And then the nice thing about them is they're tiny. They're yeah. They're they're fifteen pound little dogs that <laughs> can do a little bit of everything. Um, and I appreciate that about them. And then in the off season, hunting raccoon, groundhog, and fox with them and stuff yeah. is is something. That'll occupy my time, but I also that's use them at work for clearing attics, clearing crawl spaces. So that's cool. I saw that, that video you posted a couple weeks ago with the uh, uh, with your terrier. I think you were on the roof and you had to run down to the little was that a raccoon it was taken out. Yeah. So okay. what had happened was customer called me. Their dog got into it with a raccoon. Their dog ran the raccoon up onto the roof, and the husband was cool about it. He was just drinking by the pool, just trying to enjoy like a Sunday or whatever. <laughs> The wife was freaking out, um, and she wanted that raccoon gone. It hurt her baby. She yeah. wanted it gone. And they called me, and I was like, "I was like, well, I can probably catch Paulette if it's up on the roof, but if, if it gets away, I'll, I'll just stage my dog down there so that it doesn't get away. <laughs> um, and so what I did is I went up over the roof, and I tried to catch Paulette, but it was in an angle I couldn't, and I knew it was going to bail if I didn't catch Paulette. So it bailed damn near into the jaws of my dog, and uh, – Aja's not going to let a, a raccoon get away. She's going to go tooth to tooth and hold it until I uh, either collar choke her off of it or it, <laughs> it dies. Um, so I was able to climb down the roof, run around, grab the raccoon, grab her, separate them, and get the raccoon in the cage. And customer was beyond thrilled. Um, <laughs> raccoon's gone. And the, the Five-star rating. Yeah, the guy before I had – uh, let the dog go. He was like, that little Yorkie's not going to. <laughs> Yorkie? Yeah, they called her a Yorkie, which uh, I just laughed. I was like, yeah, whatever, man. Sure. Yeah, sure. Because I mean, I heard that before and because uh, it just messed up like his 40 pound pit bull yeah. mix thing. And here's a 15 pound <laughs> dog going tooth to tooth with it. With yeah. Hardly a scratch after. And oh, man. He was, I mean, he was like half in the bag sitting around the pool. He was, he, he thought it was <laughs> the coolest thing ever. And, oh, I'm sure. The wife was like, oh, is your dog okay? Because mine's not. And I was like, no, mine's fine. She'll be all right. And we left. And as we were leaving, like the whole neighborhood was coming out like to see oh, what I'm the sure. noise was. And I just waved. I'm like, bye. Like, I'm see not, guys. I'm not here to make – yeah, I'm not here to play show and tell. I got the raccoon. Yeah. It's it's hot. I want to I wanna get my dog cleaned <laughs> off. Oh, man. That's funny. Those, uh, those, those Is it a trial game you go to with the terriers? So, yeah. So – we don't have the hunt testing for Yag Terriers like they do for Draughts and uh, other German breeds here. So the American Hunting Terrier Association puts on three trials a year, and then each one's a championship based on the region. So like up north, it's a go-to-ground championship. Out east, it's a treeing championship. And then oh, down south. divisions and, almost. Yeah, and then down south in Texas, it's a, it's a hog band championship based on like what they hunt in that region. Okay. Um, so we were out in Kentucky. That was the treeing championship. Um, mouse took, uh, mouse took third in treeing. Aja took second in retrieve. Um, Aja won the lure course and she placed in a few other events. So we did pretty good. There's a lot of, over the last five years that I've been going to those terrier trials. Um, cause I've had terriers a lot longer than that, but I, I just started going to the trials like five years ago. Every year there's more and more people and it's just growing and growing and growing. Like we're having to introduce new judging rules and like kind of plan it better and better. Cause before it was maybe like a dozen dogs and now like yeah. 
it's not unusual to see 50, 60, 70 dogs now. And that's no way. insane. Yeah. It's, wow. it's getting really big and I love it. And the competition gets harder every year and um, yeah. I, I'm loving seeing it grow. Um, and I'm yeah, glad some... that, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I do go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, make a comment that some of the coolest photos I've, I've seen you post are from that, from the, it's the, the hog. Yeah. So aspect. the hog bay. So that people... is, pretty cool a lot of people ask what that is so what a hog bay is and what a bay is is a bay is a a terrier's job is to hold whatever it is there whether they hold it there with their teeth their strength or by barking and apply applying pressure that their job is done so there's terriers range like you have hard dogs that are just going to lock jaw and hold stuff and then you have smart dogs that are gonna bark until backup shows up so mm. what a bay competition is there's one dog and two dog and the dogs you start with a perfect score of 100 and the dog has to be within a certain range of the pig they have to bark the whole time and they have to maintain eye contact and every time that dog breaks eye contact they're, they're docked a point and then oh wow if they're every second they're outside like a like a 10 foot circle of that pig they're, they're docked a point and so oh. um they're and then if they if they grab the pig and maintain contact for five seconds or ten seconds they're disqualified like jaw they they're they're terriers they're little their their job sure. is not to catch because these pigs are know. good size yeah and it, every now and then the yeah they're usually about 150 200 pounds um their job is not to bite and hold a 200 pound pig sure um but sometimes they're required to put teeth and remind the pig that they're they're not afraid either so like mm-hmm. they'll get them in the armpits and the ears and like just remind them they're like hey stay put while i bark at you or i will bite you and that's sure. that's what they call mixing and so some dogs have enough presence to just bark and hold it and keep it perfect mm-hmm. and then other dogs they like to they get rowdy and they like to <laughs> apply a little bit more pressure than yeah. they need. And it's a reminder. Yeah. So, <laughs> dude, how do you find the time to to do all these? I mean, from the photography, the bird aspect, the terriers. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty freaking cool. They all kind of work together. Luckily, I'm self-employed, so my boss runs a real loose ship. So, <laughs> I, I do my own scheduling. Uh, <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah, I couldn't. It, it didn't work out as well when I worked for other people. And they didn't like, understand. You're going where again? They didn't understand that I needed like six months vacation a year. They didn't. They didn't <laughs> understand that. <laughs> they, they didn't like that. No, they didn't like that that much. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. That is pretty cool. Well, Tyler, as we uh, we wrap this thing up, uh, one of the questions I like to ask every guest, um, you know, thinking about the the new upland hunter out there, maybe someone who's who's just getting started into upland hunting. Um, what's a piece of advice that you would, you'd give them? Um, go hunt with a bunch of people. Don't just, don't just hunt with the first people available and call it good. Um, your experiences are going to vary with everyone that you get out there and hunt with. Go hunt with a bunch of people, find your circle, you know? Um, and then once you feel comfortable and you feel like the people are emulating the kind of hunting you want to do, stick with them. Mm. Um, yeah, too many people, they just hunt with the first person they meet that'll take them hunting and then they stick with that. And they don't even know what good is or they don't know what, what they're missing because they hadn't seen it. And so mm-hmm. I, I just tell people, go hunt with a bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. Go go experience it for yourself. Get in the car. Go meet your internet friends. Um, mm-hmm. 
get out to functions, coil forever functions. Uh, a lot of those her upland functions are great for women. Um, go to falconry meets. Um, there's just so many different ways to get into hunting now and I love it. Um, but go, go sample a few. Um, mm. Don't, don't take the first one you get to the bank. Mm. Would you, would you add on and also say for the, for the dogs to hunt over different dogs, hunt over different. Yeah. Go see a bunch. See go, go, go see some horseback trials. Go see a Nastra trial. Go watch a Go watch a NAVDA event. The, all the, the dogs at those three events alone are like completely different and you mm. will find what you want. You'll find what you like. And sure. until you've seen that, until you've seen all the different things, you really, you'll never know um, truly what you like or what you want. Um, so That's there's, great, there's, there's a lot of different dog venues and they should all kind of be explored or at least preview. Don't take someone else's opinion of them. <laughs> totally. I love that, man. It's great advice. Um, all right. Last, last section here. Uh, I'll go over a rapid fire questions and, uh, you just kind of give me your off the cuff answer and, uh, we'll bring this thing home. Okay. All right. For you, uh, what came first, the dog, the gun, or the bird? And when I say bird, I mean the species you hunt. Um, dogs and guns can't kind of came at the same time as a kid, but as far as my adult experiences, uh, the bird, the bird came, the bird came first and the dog was like, not even like a week after. Um, <laughs> and then through getting uh, more and more into gun dogs, I, then from there I, I started shooting over young dogs and then I shoot over my adult dogs too. But, um, it was a way to kind of raise up my falconry dogs and kind of sort mm. through them. It was just gun hunting over. That's awesome. Uh, what gun are you carrying into the field and why? Um, so for the last few years, uh, my Ruger red label 28 is kind of my go-to. Um, if I'm like chucker hunting some gnarly stuff or hunting in some stuff where my gun's going to get dropped or you're going to fall like in rough Merns country, I'll carry my, uh, I've got a CZ woodcock that I don't think I've cleaned in like seven years that <laughs> it looks like it was dragged behind my truck, but it still shoots. So I love that 20 gauge CZ woodcock. That's awesome. Uh, kind of a sub question to that. Uh, if you had to pick one gauge for the rest of your life, what would it be? I had to pick one, probably 20 just for ammo availability and load versatility. I love my 28s, but I mean, certain parts of the country, you'll never even find 28 in the store if you need mm -hmm. it last minute. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, probably just a 20 gauge over under. Okay. All right. This, this question might be hard for you. This is a, this is a very specific question for, for Tyler Sladen here. Uh, what was more enjoyable for you watching your Falcons work or watching your dogs work? Ooh, got to pick one. I know. Ooh. Um, <laughs> well, it has to be the dogs and I'll, I'll back that up because without the dogs, you would never get the kind of falconry I enjoy, whether it's mm. Falcons on sage grouse or goshawks on quail, or even squirrel, uh, squirrel hunting red tail. Without the dogs, the falconry I enjoy wouldn't exist. Hmm. So it'd have to be the okay. dogs. All right, you heard it here first. Um, so, real quick side question: Can uh, can your goshawk take down a sage grouse? Uh, if he caught a big bomber, that's gonna be a fight. He could do it. Okay. Um, you got to remember they weigh like six, seven pounds. <laughs> I, right. It's like fighting a hen turkey. Um, so he could do it. He's okay. going to need, I better be running and he's, okay. 
he could get hurt too. Uh, hen all day, um, but a big okay. bomber is big. Big boy would be a little. Tough. I, you got to remember, I fly a male goshawk too, which is like half the size of a female goshawk. Female goshawk, oh, smaller. Yeah, males are oh, males wow. and uh, birds of prey are all, all smaller. Wow. Um, okay. Did not know that. Smaller, more wed to feather. Um, they like most males of all bird species prefer feather oh. to fur and most and then they're just a little bit because they're smaller they're more agile and a little bit okay. quicker the Dang, females cool. can kind of be faster because they're bigger but they're okay. they're generally not quicker got it got it all right uh, a couple more here uh favorite breed of dog besides the ones you own oh, I, I talked about this with uh, my girlfriend last night i, like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> these are gonna be tough i was like i was like because we i mean we feed Currently on my food bill, we've got short hairs. We've got. I don't even pointers. want to know your food bill. Yeah, we've got short to. hairs. We've got pointers. We've got setters. We've got a visla. Um, yep. We've had a lot of breeds. We've got yags. Um, it would probably. It'd probably have to either go like Springer or Lab. It would have to be Springer. Oh wow! Okay. Springer or Lab. As far as breeds, I don't currently own. Like I have. Okay. All the pointing breeds that I like, I currently okay. Do you have and, a pointer right now? Uh, we have one um, male pointer. Um, okay. He's yeah, we got one young male pointer. He's he's about okay. a year old. Cool, cool. He's still in the uh, pointing mosquitoes in the dark and pointing butterflies <laughs> phases, but he looks like a million bucks doing it. Hey, I mean that's, that's all that counts, right? <laughs> as long as they look good doing it. Yeah, he looks like a damn statue, and he's just dripping with muscle but he, <laughs> he's spawn bugs <laughs> oh, hopefully he grows out of that yeah uh, he will but yeah that's yeah. where he's at right now it's that's the only experience i can drop it's the only pointer i've yeah. ever had you okay very cool all right so lab lab or a springer very cool um favorite bird to hunt and why favorite bird um it'd have to be either scalies or, or chucker um, okay. for, for many reasons, the, the big wide open country to be able to, to, the dogs can reach out as far as they want. And then the falconry that comes with them is very hard to like to catch scaled quail or chucker on the wing consistently is a mm. giant ask. And then they always push dogs. Like some of them, they like to run and they like to be ratty and, um, they're always doing something different. And then sometimes they'll surprise you and hold like a million dollars and you'll walk into a 50 bird cubby rise at your feet. And I love yeah. that about them. They're just so inconsistently consistent, um, scalies and chucker. Um, as for New Mexico and what I hunt the most scalies, um, close second for quail would be Merns. But, um, That's awesome. when I leave, I really enjoy hunting chucker in other States. That's awesome. All right, uh, just a couple more here. Uh, best and worst gear purchase for you in the last year or so? Best gear purchase in the last year. Um, I picked up, so I had one of the original Final Rise vests from Matt. I had like one of the original, like uh, probably 50 or so. And then, so he made me a new one and that was really cool. Of him. So that my Final Rise vest for sure. Uh, worst gear. Um, hmm. When I say worst, maybe maybe you thought you were going to use this. Maybe you thought it, would, it was going to be helpful for you, but you're like, you know what? That, that was pointless. Oh, 
I bought one of those things to like step over uh, barbed wire fences, you know? Oh, yeah, easier. yeah. I hated that thing. The thing is so dangerous because like if it slips, <laughs> if it slips, you're going to like, oh, like invoke a lot of pain <laughs> and it has and it's i've ended oh, up ripping gosh. more pants using that stupid thing than i would just like crossing barbed wire normally and then it's like huge it's not huge but it's decent in your bag to carry oh man I that thing was pretty popular thing. last season that was all over the internet i they must not use it enough or they must have better fence posts because it pops off sometimes and like you are going and then like so if it pops off and you're up high like yeah now you're it's like not good hamstrung on a seven strand barbed wire fence three and a half feet off the ground and i'm not oh, that gosh. tall to begin with i'm only five nine so here oh, i am gosh. hung on a fence because i trusted this eleven dollar piece of metal yeah I'll, I, I don't like oh, that thing. that's hilarious when it works you can feel it when it clicks in good to some fences yeah. but then there's other fences where it like just doesn't pointless it never like settles and then once you get up there and you're on one side of it, it like you're like, this is gonna fall. Yeah, this, this is bad. You've already committed to it. Right. You, know, you can't like, there's no going back. Oh no, I do not oh. like that. I don't I like I work up high on like 13 story buildings and I repel a lot for work and I feel way more safe doing that than I do on this piece of thing hanging on a fence. But yeah, oh, I don't like that thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, good times. Um okay, your go to hunting snack on a trip. Oh, Ritz peanut butter crackers. Oh, the, the pre-made ones, like the little mini ones? Dude, I live on those things. I will – I'll go to Costco and get like a truck full and then I'll just <laughs> keep them. I have an ammo pouch for spent hulls and snacks and then I got an ammo pouch for hulls. <laughs> and <laughs> there then it, there's all usually always like one or two of those peanut butter cracker packages in there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, beverage of choice after a hunt usually just water but i those body armors the the sugar-free yeah, strawberry yeah. banana yeah, ones the strawberry banana ones the sugar-free ones are just it just tastes like a milkshake and i don't feel as guilty drinking it yeah and it's <laughs> got like that with- a million things that you need to rehydrate with and rehydrating yeah. here is very important absolutely I was, I was just talking about i think it was maybe my last guest or a couple guests ago we were talking about the body armor again and it's uh it doesn't feel as heavy as like a gatorade or something like that Gatorade feels super, just, I don't know, it's super rich. Well, the gate, the plastic in the, yeah, Gatorade, one, it feels like a meal, but even the bottle, yeah. like the bottle, yeah, yeah. you could like put through a windshield, whereas like the body armor would break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. All right. Last one for you. Another hard one. Uh, out of out of all your dogs, I know you got a lot, a lot of different breeds, different for different uses. Who's your favorite dog? Uh... The bird dogs, it would have to be Kira. Kira is like the most wholesale, like she'll find quail on the moon kind of dog. She's going to go mm. all day. Heat won't stop her. Um, she might not, she's not the best retriever and she might not, she might not do as well if it's super dry and not windy, but on the average day, she's going to find more birds than any dog on the ground. And wow. She's been that consistent her whole life. So have to be Kira. It, Close second would be my little terrier mouse. She's just my buddy, man. She goes, <laughs> she goes on every hunt. She looks like a cool <laughs> she, dog. She does a little bit of everything. She goes into Home Depot with me, like she goes to work <laughs> with me. So, and she—I swear—the only thing stopping her from speaking English is vocal cords. Like she's just like that kind of dog. <laughs> Whereas, like here, if you're not hunting, like like even right now, she's 
laying under a bed or under a couch Sul- somewhere. Sulking? Yeah. She, she just, she's like, we're not hunting? All right, I'm going to go sleep somewhere comfortable. And she will <laughs> Tell never deny herself comfort. Tell so. me when we're ready to go. Well, Tyler, this has been so much fun, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time and unpacking more about uh, your story, your journey, uh, more about falconry. I, uh, I really appreciate it. All right, man. I appreciate you guys having me on here. Absolutely. Where can uh, – I mean, it's just Tyler Sladen, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff? On Instagram, it's quail underscore – on Instagram, it's quail underscore hawk, and then Facebook, it's just Tyler Sladen. Okay, right on. Yeah, I know you do some killer photos and some great shots of things. So I think uh, I'd encourage people to check it out and see some of the see some of the work and things you're capturing out there. All right, man. Uh, All right, brother. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, you be good. I hope we can link up this season. Absolutely, man. It'd be a blast. All right. Well, that's a wrap of episode 93 with Tyler Sladen of Quail Hawk. Tyler, thanks so much, man, for taking time. Uh, Share your passion, man. It's clearly a passion uh, for falconry, bird dogs, uh, just developing bird dogs. Um, It's been so fun to see over the years um, just grow uh, for you and what you've invested into your dogs, into people around you. Uh, So thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, being able to share that with lots and lots of people in the Upland community. Really, really appreciate it. Hey guys, um, we got a few days till season. Uh, I hope everyone is uh, doing well and just excited, he- excited heading into a new, uh, new upland bird season. Um, whether it's you're, you're traveling to a new state, you're hunting local, whatever it might be, be safe, have fun. Remember, this is this we get to do this uh, for enjoyment. We get to do this to chase new birds, experience new land, and so enjoy it and just have so much fun. Hey, don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend. Share any episode with a friend on social media and uh, tag the Upland Rookie Podcast. Until then, go put some miles on your boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.